We're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Let's turn there, please. Don began the series a few weeks ago and showed what pains the Lord took to bring us the gospel, how grace reaches from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria, through Antioch and Asia Minor, down through Macedonia to Achaia, and even to Corinth. God loves needy men and women and wants to save those he loves. Last week, Noah, uh, Noad showed how the Corinthians thought worldly wisdom would help the church, and the believers had a near-fatal attraction toward the, Lord's, toward the world's wisdom. Worldly wisdom actually brought division to the church. But God was pleased through the apparent preaching of the cross, the apparent foolishness of the preaching of the cross to save those who believed. This week, we want to look at things God hid and things God revealed. And we trust that we will come away with a new, fresh appreciation for the Word of God, how the Word of God is made available to us, how God presents His truth, His wisdom to us through His Word. So let's, um, let's read 1 Corinthians 2, unless Nessie is going to recite that for us this week. No? Okay. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known 
the mind of the Lord that he may instruct them, instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Be with us this morning, Lord Jesus, as we open your word and as we seek to understand and to apply the tremendous truths that you have uh, presented here. We think what a privilege it is to have your wisdom, your truth, your Bible available to us. And uh, we, uh, we pray that you would visit us with, uh, with that new appreciation. In your name, Lord, amen. Let's answer some questions as we go through our study this morning to help our understanding and application. First, how did Paul declare God's testimony to the Corinthians? In what manner did he preach the truth to them? Second, what is the wisdom of the age that Paul refers to? It's um, opposite of the Lord's wisdom. Third, how does God communicate his wisdom and his truth? And then fourth, how may I best respond to God's communication of this truth? How did, God, how did Paul declare God's testimony to the Corinthians? We read in verse 1, I came to you not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. It wasn't with um, eloquence that Paul addressed these Corinthians. Who were the Corinthians? They were pagan, pleasure-seeking, idolaters influenced by Greek philosophy. How would you have preached to them? You just made your way to Corinth. You're in a, a, a strange city, surrounded by strange people. They're, um, they're worldly, they're carnal, they're, they're pagan. What's your outline? What are you going to speak? What are you anticipating as a response to, uh, to your message? Let's look at the content of Paul's message to the Corinthians. Verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul determined, he purposed, he chose not to know anything among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That tells you something of his message to them. He was deliberate. He had decided beforehand that this was what he was going to do. Do you find Paul somewhat narrow in his testimony? He restricted it to Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Old Testament contains many types and shadows of the Lord Jesus. So this would have opened up the Old Testament to Paul's subject for his preaching. But he preached simply Jesus Christ and him crucified. It, um, uh, Christ the person and him crucified, his great work at Calvary. This may sound radical or extreme. The apostle had good reason for it. He was constrained by the love of Jesus Christ. He was compelled. He was, um, uh, he was guided propelled, moved by the love of Christ. Paul 
determined not to know anything among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified because Jesus determined not to know anything during his earthly ministry except his beloved ones and them redeemed, sanctified, justified, glorified. On his way to Calvary, Jesus had sinners like Saul of Tarsus on his mind. So Jesus was at the forefront of Paul's mind, his thinking, and the overflow of his heart was for Jesus and him crucified. We begin to understand why Paul's subject, why his preaching was so narrow. He was, others have been captivated, so captivated by the love of this sacrificial, selfless savior. Um, Charles Wesley among them, he wrote, vain, delusive world, adieu. With all of creature good, only Jesus I pursue, who bought me with his blood. All thy pleasures I forego, I trample on thy wealth and pride. Only Jesus will I know, and Jesus crucified. Other knowledge I disdain, tis all but vanity. Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain. He tasted death for me. Me to save from endless woe, the sin-atoning victim died. Only Jesus will I know, and Jesus crucified. Here will I set up my rest, my fluctuating heart, from the haven of his breast shall never more depart. Whither should a sinner go, his wounds for me stand open wide. Only Jesus will I know, and Jesus crucified. The cross of Calvary remains this trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. It is the instrument of cruelty by which a mighty savior died for man his creature's sin. He bore the sins of the strengthless, the ungodly, the unloving, the ill-deserving, and so captivates the heart of men and women today. In verse 3, Paul came not with high-sounding oratory and rhetoric, but in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Did Paul fear the Corinthians? He had just left a mocking philosophical crowd in Athens. Before that, he had been stoned by unbelieving Jews and left for dead in Lystra. He didn't seem to fear men. Rather, it must have been the importance of the message that he carried and the pains that he took to deliver that message that caused him anxiety. Years ago, an aged, aged preacher admitted before preaching on a Sunday to a, um, an assembly of saints, he said, I still get butterflies before I speak. So if you find yourself weak and fearful and trembling before getting up to preach, you're in good company. It was not with um, persuasive words of human wisdom in verse 4 
As a Pharisee in training, young Saul of Tarsus may have studied and practiced rhetoric or debate, but found no place for it in his preaching to the Corinthians. Instead, Paul's appeal to the Corinthians was one of display of the Holy Spirit and his power. Paul was very protective of the Corinthians. He did not want them trying to ground their faith in the wisdom of man, but instead he wanted them to experience the power, the persuasive uh, winning power of God. So in verse 5, um, he, he says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This was Paul's desire for the Corinthians. But among their other problems, the Corinthians leaned toward the wisdom of men. The world's wisdom values only what the five senses can perceive. And that is uh, opposed to God's wisdom, which must be communicated to us spiritually. What is the wisdom of this age? A definition, a good um, dictionary definition of wisdom is insight into the true nature of things. Wisdom. But the wisdom of this age is actually opposed to the wisdom of God. It's a fake wisdom. It is the world's wisdom where the world is that realm of the arts, entertainment, politics, music, um, science, yes, even of religion where Christ is not welcome. Human wisdom puts a big sign up on its door. It, it basically says, Christ, you're not welcome here. You're not, uh, you're not to be a part of our wisdom. The world says life, this life, is all that matters. God's wisdom says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The world says, if it feels good, do it. The Lord says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall reap. The world says, there is no hell. And there are um, so-called evangelical preachers who, uh, who preach that. There is no hell. But the Lord says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. The world says all religions lead to God. The Lord says, there is, uh, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby uh, we must be saved. The world says, Everyone goes to heaven. The Lord says, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The world's wisdom says you can earn your way to heaven. The Lord's wisdom says we are all like an unclean thing. And our righteousnesses, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
The world says, even if heaven and hell exist, there's no urgency. The Lord's wisdom says, behold, now is the accepted time. Today, uh, behold, now is the day of salvation. We don't have to watch the news media for long to realize the hold that earthly wisdom has. We talk to our friends and family. We, um, we watch entertainment and realize, you know, this whole, uh, all this world is, um, uh, is controlled by this wisdom. As a reminder, I give you the song, Imagine. We're not going to play it, but um, this song was recorded by John Lennon of the Beatles in 1971. I'm not seeing any recognition of it. Okay. No, I meant, uh, does anyone remember Imagine? Yes. Okay, we do have some. I want you to listen to its influence. I'm going to read uh, um, an excerpt from Wikipedia, and then I'll... Um, then I'll read some of the words to you. Imagine is a song written and performed by English musician John Lennon, the best-selling single of his solo career. A British survey conducted by the Guinness World of Records, um, World Book of Records, named it the best, the second best single of all time, while Rolling Stone ranked it number three on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Since 2005, event organizers have played it just before New Year's Times Square ball drops in New York City every year since 2005. That's um, 12, 12 years. Lenin calls for unity and equality built upon the complete elimination of modern social order, geopolitical borders, organized religion, and economic class. Listen very carefully, this is short. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Wikipedia goes on to Say, some observers have described the song as having a distinctly anti-religious viewpoint. Did you pick up on that? To the point that some have embraced it as an atheist's anthem. Beloved, the world has its anthem. And it's in entertainment and arts and songs like, uh, like Imagine. The world's wisdom is really willful ignorance. We, um, 
We know that the um, rulers of this age, I think Paul was referring to Pontius Pilate and the Jewish leaders were ignorant. They did not realize that the murder of God's own son on the cross would seal their own destruction. Had they realized that, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know who Jesus is or what he was doing. Therefore, Jesus prayed for them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There are many things people today would not do if they had the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is not natural. It is supernatural. So Paul says in verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. What is a mystery? Is that something that uh, no one can know? The um, uh, W.E. Vine defines mystery in the New Testament, meaning not the mysterious, but that which being outside the range of natural learning can be made known only by divine revelation and is made known in a manner and at a time appointed by God. In the ordinary sense, a mystery implies knowledge withheld. Its scriptural significance is truth revealed. So a mystery is something that we could not have known naturally. It uh, may have been hidden at one time, but now God has revealed to us. God hid, hid his wisdom in types and prophecies of the Old Testament, but now honors us by revealing his truths to his apostles and to the New Testament writers. How does God communicate his wisdom, his spiritual truth? The Holy Spirit performs these operations, these functions, these activities. He imparts God's wisdom and he does it supernaturally. Three ways he does this uh, progression. First, by revelation. We, um, we contrast again the, the wisdom of God with the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is, um, is sensory. It's, some, it's things that we can perceive by uh, sight, smell, taste, feeling. But God's truth is communicated when God interrupts the natural and he reveals his, his wisdom to his uh, prophets, apostles, New Testament writers. If we're going to imagine at all, let's imagine a world without God's revelation. Imagine a world with no knowledge of a loving, just, righteous, absolute, sovereign, controlling. Only what we saw in creation and felt from our conscience would be what we knew of any sort of um, Lord or God. Paul quotes Isaiah in verse 9 to uh, reflect a world of um, Old Testament life before God revealed his New Testament mysteries. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared 
for those who love him. A lot of people apply this to heaven, and it's true of heaven. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but it's not. <laughs> it's not heaven. What, uh, what he is describing here is the mysteries, the New Testament truths, because he says in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. God has revealed his truth. How? By his spirit. Verse 10, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the, the deep things of God. This is a powerful statement of the Lord of the Spirit's deity. He is God. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. He understands them and can impart them to others. No one knows the things of God but his Spirit. And so the Spirit is one with the Father. In verse 11, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? No one knows what a man is thinking unless he reveals it. Wives are very familiar with this. He says, um, we have received, in verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit uh, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What things have we freely received? What things has God freely given to us who know him? Well, he's given us a substitute on, uh, on the cross of Calvary to bear the full weight of the penalty of our sin. That he revealed to us. He's given us an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven. He's given us his Holy Spirit to guide, to educate, to convict us when we're, when we're going in the wrong way. He's given us all that we need in his word for, for life and godliness. He's given us the promise of the Lord Jesus' presence. He's beside us. He's, um, he's, in effect, holding our right hand. God has given us an audience with the king. We have um, access to his presence 24-7. There's never a time when God uh, shuts his door on us and tells us, come back in the morning. He gives us shepherding. He feeds us. He, makes, he gives us a provision for abiding victory. So these are the things which, uh, which God has freely given to us. God has revealed his hidden truths to the apostles and to other New Testament writers. But they lived 2,000 years ago. How does God preserve 
his truth. He does it by inspiration. We have uh, his revelation in verses 9 through 12. We have his inspiration in verse 13. These things we also speak, not words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And when Paul says these things we also speak, he may uh, also mean that he writes these things that he writes. The New Testament writers communicated not man's wisdom, but, um, but God's wisdom. The scripture is not a commentary on the mind of God. The scripture is an expression of God's thoughts with words that the Holy Spirit selected. We believe that the original words in the languages that the writers used were those given by the Holy Spirit. The, um, the question arises, well, Paul's style is very different from John's. Luke's style is very different from Mark's. How, how can these be the words of the Holy Spirit? But God preserves those personalities of the writers in his communication, in his preservation of those truths. So we believe that the Bible is authoritative and accurate in its translated state. He says that the uh, Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's always good studying scripture to compare verses with other verses to keep us on track. But um, the primary meaning, meaning here in its context seems to mean that the spiritual matters are best communicated in a language uh, that the Holy Spirit uses. Use his words. Make it clear and plain. And then thirdly, the Lord communicates first by revelation and second, preserving by inspiration, and then third, by illumination. Have you considered all the many functions and operations that go into reading, in reading anything. The eye is an amazing organ. Um, light has to pass through the cornea. If uh, your cornea is bad, you have to have uh, surgery, a, a cornea implant or um, cataract surgery. We have um, uh, experts in the field here in our congregation, so we, uh, we appreciate that. Correct me, please. The uh, lens in the eye has to focus. If your eye is misshaped or you're getting older and the lens is uh, getting uh, inflexible, then we have to use glasses. But even then, the light has to move to the retina, and the retina has to correctly uh, perceive and transmit those signals through the optic nerve to the brain. What happens in the brain, I have no idea. I just tell you it's very complicated. So that when, uh, people can see things and not perceive them. People can see shapes and yet they don't make sense. They're, they're not able to discern what those, what those things are. 
this whole operation of sight and especially reading is a, uh, is a wonder. It's a wonder of creation. But it's not enough when we read scripture. God revealed his truths, the mysteries of his, um, his wisdom to the, um, to the apostles, to the New Testament writers. He preserved those for us in his word, very precious. But we can still open God's word and not understand what he has written. It requires illumination. By whom? Again, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible to the natural man may well be written in an unknown language. I've been there. God's truths are foolishness to him. We read last week, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This, um, this statement that... Um, their foolishness to the natural man is a strong statement by the Lord. We see examples of this in the New Testament. Um, Nicodemus, the Lord Jesus, was communicating spiritual truth. Imagine having the, uh, the Lord himself um, teaching you in person. Nicodemus didn't get it. The Lord Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus Using his natural wisdom, he said, um, has, should a man be born again a uh, second time from his mother's womb? <clears throat> he didn't understand. The woman at the well, she had the revelation and the, uh, the, the Lord right there again uh, interviewing her. And he said, um, if you knew who it was speaking to you, uh, he would give you living water. And so <clears throat> the woman looked around. She, she said, well, you have, no, um, you have nothing to draw with. How are you going to draw water from this well? The Lord was speaking the truth, but she wasn't, uh, she wasn't understanding it. She wasn't enlightened to it. But eventually both, I, I trust, were. The Holy Spirit illuminated their understanding In verse 15, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The spiritual man is the one whom, to whom God has illuminated his truth. He has uh, opened his understanding. And the world is not fit to judge the spiritual man. He may be a plumber, carpenter, a fisherman, and yet he's able to understand and even to teach the word of God. The world, the world doesn't understand that. The world can't comprehend it. But this, um, this spiritual man is able to judge all things, not just, um, not just spiritual things, but um, uh, conflicts in the natural realm as well. Who has the mind of the Lord? In verse 16, Isaiah wrote, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord 
or as his counselor has taught him. Who has the mind of the Lord? Well, no natural person has the mind of the Lord that has to be communicated to him. So by revelation, inspiration, and illumination, Paul writes, we have the mind of Christ. Do you, do you detect a tremendous privilege in that, in having the mind of Christ? What's the best way for us to make use of these truths this morning? God communicates to us by revelation. He revealed these truths to his apostles. He preserved the truth by, um, uh, by um, recording those in Scripture. And then he gives illumination to us to understand these truths. The Holy Spirit opens them to us. There is a thrill in that, in recognizing that the reception of this ministry of God's Spirit in um, communicating God's truth to us. So, by way of application, saints, thank the Lord that he has revealed to us uh, his provision for a Savior in Christ the Lord. He has inspired writers to record these revelations for us, and he has illuminated our hearts. He has opened our hearts to the recognition of these truths to understand. We would not have otherwise. A second application that believers can make and should make is to rely on the Holy Spirit. When we open our Bibles, uh, we pray, we should pray, and ask the Lord for understanding. Lord, I, um, I have trouble understanding even 1 Corinthians 2. Would you please open these truths to my understanding? It may take a lot of study. It may take a lot of um, prayer and reading. The Lord prizes that. He values that. And, uh, and he will give understanding. Wait on him to open up difficult truths to us in reliance on the Holy Spirit. Unsaved who are here, what is my plea to you? What is Paul's plea? I believe it is to realize that there is a spirit of the world who wants you to be ignorant. He wants you to believe a deception, and the deception is simply that Christ is untrustworthy, that he wants to take something from you, that he's withholding something good from you. It is very bad to live in this deception. Recognize that there is a spirit of the world. It's not good to be deceived, and especially concerning your eternal welfare. Second thing is um, to cry out to the Lord for understanding. You may say, well, I've opened the Bible, I've tried to read it, and I'm not able to understand what it says. Cry out to the Lord for understanding. We have, uh, we have a case in the Philippian jailer where uh, he said, what must I do to be saved? He was, uh, he was in effect saying, uh, what provision has the Lord made for, for me, for deliverance from, from my sin? 
You can imitate him. Lord, what must I do to be saved? Or the blind man who um, uh, the Lord Jesus opened his eyes and uh, the Lord presented himself as the, as the one who, who had healed him and the one on whom he should believe. And the blind, formerly blind man said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? Make this your prayer. Who is he that I may believe on him? Cry out to the Holy Spirit. Ask him for illumination of God's truth. That's our desire for you today. Let's pray. We praise you this morning, Lord, for the example of the Apostle Paul, the lengths that you took him to, to bring your truth to us. So many miles he traveled, so many um, things that he endured that, um, that we today might benefit from your truth. We thank you, Lord, for the pains that you have taken to reveal your truth supernaturally to your apostles, how you um, interrupted the natural rules to speak to them, and how you've preserved those for us accurately, authoritatively, um, that we can use today. We thank you, Lord, each of us who knows you, that um, you illuminate these truths for us, that um, we have an understanding, we have the mind of Christ, we, um, we know what you expect of us, we know what you provided for us, and what a tremendous honor, what a privilege, what a thrill it is to carry this during our short lifetimes, to live for you, uh, to honor you. We ask finally, Lord, for those who don't know you, that they would not be satisfied, they would not be content with the deception of the, the world, but instead they would cry out to you, they'd pursue you, they would desire your illumination of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.